Hey, leaders, stick around to hear Curtis Hewson speak to the idea of building effective team goals in that collaborative planning stage of collaborative response. Hear him talk about smart goals and why they're important, but really come here about the perspective about it being a collaborative and incremental process in order to improve things for students. Leading organizations with intentionality and purpose is complex work, and dedicated leaders work tirelessly each and every day to build impactful cultures of collaboration. But effective collaboration is difficult and messy. The good news is you don't have to do it alone. Join the Jigsaw Learning Team for Leading Collaborative Response, sharing insights for leaders committed to establishing, refining, and deepening collaborative response in their organization. Welcome again to Leading Collaborative Response. And once again, Curtis Hewson, lead learner and co-founder of Jigsaw Learning, is joining myself, Jennifer Ferguson. We collab with lead with Jigsaw Learning. So hi again, Curtis. Hey, Jen. Great to see you once again. Great to see you once again. And it would appear that the weather there is a little bit warmer than it is where I'm at. Like you still got a golf shirt on and I'm yeah. like starting the wearable blanket phase. <laughs> it's uh, It's still during the day, but there's a bit of a chill coming in the air and we've got leaves starting to fall on certain things. It's that weird time of year where I don't know whether I'm supposed to go and rake things, water things, let them go, unplant. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I generally just leave it until somebody tells me I better go in and uh, do something to <laughs> get ready for winter. Yeah, it's the stage in my house where there are twice as many shoes as they're supposed to be. Yes. You know, you run out and in a pair of sandals and it's like, okay, I need my runners. Oh no, today I need my rain boots. <laughs> well, and it's that time of year where um, you're into the, oh goodness, I'm going to have to start wearing socks again all the time because sandals aren't going to quite cut it. And yeah, I, I don't even remember where jackets are because I haven't needed them for a while, but now we'll have to figure out the light jacket to the next layer of jacket to the heavier jacket. So digging back into closets. It's kind of hard. It's kind of hard to think about, you know, work at work, work <laughs> when you think about the work at homework. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But, but let me, but let me get you back on, on, on the work phase. So okay. we're going to talk today about building effective team goals. Mm -hmm. And so before we get into, you know, the process and the considerations for that, let's talk about where that applies in collaborative response when we talk right. about those four layers of team. So yeah, back, back to the work brain, Curtis. <laughs> okay, there we go. Well, I think for listeners and viewers of this podcast, we are going to be sharing some thoughts and ideas that can impact any type of goal setting that you're doing within your organization. But when we talk about it from a leading collaborative response perspective, we really talk about four layers of collaboration that happen within every school. And if people need reminders of that, if we could attach in the show notes, Jen, a blog that talks a little bit about layering of these four teams. The idea is that every school needs four categories of collaboration that are happening, uh, regardless of the size or type of school. But within those categories, it will look different. Some schools will have multiple meetings in a particular category versus another school, but the four need to apply. And we talk about the four being collaborative planning, 
Second is a collaborative team meeting. Third is a school support team meeting. And then finally is a case consult. And if I go from case consult backwards, the case consult is focused on one student, very intensive. We're often looking at supports from beyond the school. As we scale back those team meetings, back all the way to the first one I mentioned, collaborative planning, this is where we're focusing on all students and putting in place things that we can do right at the classroom level so that as we move up those layers, the conversation about individual students intensifies and oftentimes the supports are moving away from the classroom as we move up. So when we think about team goals, it's really about how do you solidify the collaborative planning um, layer within those four layers so that it's not being micromanaged it's um, focusing on 100% what it is that we can do within the school and more importantly within the classroom to be able to support the goals that we've established as an organization. And also from a leadership perspective, as I guess this podcast is leading collaborative response, knowing that as a leader at the most intensive levels, I have to be heavily involved in the conversations because oftentimes it's going to really impact the deployment of resources and um, other things when we are looking at more intensive needs. When it comes to the collaborative planning, we do not want to be intensely in, involved to the same degree. We want to be able to ensure at the collaborative planning level that there's autonomy that is given to uh, the team and that they're able to set their direction, but still ensuring that there's a common or aligned focus, but that it's owned by the team um, at that collaborative planning level. Again, uh, this is really informed by work from a couple decades ago when Rick Dufour was really talking about professional learning communities and the idea of loose, tight leadership, being able to say, as a school, we will see variations of these four layers of teams and at collaborative planning our teams will have goals that's the tight part but the loose part is i'm not going to dictate what those goals are i'll help support obviously and and set some some parameters or expectations that we can can have for for ourselves but we want the determination of those goals really to be made by the people most responsible for seeing them being enacted and accomplished within their teams. So that was a long explanation for the simple answer of team goals exist at the collaborative planning layer. Your explanation, though, brings up a great number of questions. So there's a whole number of things that you said in there that I, I want to get to. But the first yeah. one I want to talk about, you talk about goals being common and aligned. Mm -hmm. and we we hear that word alignment all the time. So when we're thinking about that collaborative planning team, what do you mean when their goals are aligned? What I mean by that is I don't want one team going this direction off to the right and another team going off to the left. And this team is focusing on building out higher levels of engagement with students while this team is focusing on stronger literacy skills, while this team is really focusing on improving scientific method for students. All of those in and of themselves are valuable, but as a school or an organization moving forward, alignment for me is we have 
school or organizational goals that we've established, do the team goals align within that? So I'll give you a really simple example. Um, Years ago, within the school, of course, in our school improvement planning document that was required by the division, we would have to establish goals that we were setting within the school and how would we measure those goals and be able to report on it, whatnot. And we would have three or four goals as a school, but we made the decision for ourselves over a three-year period that our core goal, the one thing we are going to put a lot of time, energy, and attention to was 100% of our students were going to be reading at grade level. Now, that was a really audacious goal. We didn't reach 100%, but it drove us. But then every team had a goal that aligned underneath that core goal. Now, how we get a student at a kindergarten level to be getting to grade level accomplishment might look different than what a grade six team. So each team would have variations of what they were focusing on, but all in alignment with that um, core goal. I've worked with another school where they had three primary goals within their school. And at that time, there was a literacy goal, a numeracy goal, and a well-being goal that they had established. And they asked each one of their teams to create a sub-goal underneath that. But again, all, all paths pointing in the same direction. So I think being able to hone in on that is how we then start to use data to ensure that our goals become measurable, that we can see the impact. But I think the alignment to a common focus is so, so important for us, especially when we say as an organization, all of these pieces are working together. Um the sum of those parts are what's going to really move us forward as an organization much further than if each team was taking their own little niche interest area and building it out and it's going in a hundred different directions. My experience with that is getting right down into, you know, teacher professional growth plans and the goals mm-hmm. that within them, right? Like, again, province district school yeah I, we right? always referred to it as that umbrella effect those things should nest one under the other so you touched on the notion of honing in on goals based on data so let's talk about that a little bit what sort of data could teams be looking at to both build their goals and inform the achievement of those goals yeah and you know, this is a question I often get in um, overview workshops for collaborative response is when we talk about data and evidence and a school says, what kind of data should we be collecting? Sometimes there's a little bit of frustration when my response is, well, that really depends. But it does. It, it's highly intentional in saying that because we shouldn't be asking what data should we be collecting. We should first ask, what are the key priorities that we are trying to move forward in our school? And then what would be the key measures that we would utilize that indicate to us that we're having growth and impact? So I, again, I'll come to a simple example for us when we said our core goal is students reading at grade level, 100%. Then we would be able to say, okay, here's the literacy data that will evidence to us if we're achieving that goal. 
So I sometimes will have a school say, well, we've created a goal around student well-being. We're really trying to promote well-being for our students. And that's a very, very noble priority area within the school. But it then prompts the next question of how will you measure well-being? Will you have a mechanism? And it doesn't have to be highly advanced when we start. A mechanism that tells us where are we currently at and where are we trying to get to and then can help us measure as we're going along. I really think when you first start, you may not need data and evidence to start the process of crafting goals, but for you to ever move forward with sustainability, I would highly um, suggest that every goal that is established becomes data informed and that you have a mechanism to be able to say, are we getting there? Are, are we getting closer to that goal? So again, it doesn't have to be highly sophisticated. We often use with teams when starting that data review and we'll attach a copy of the simple template in the show notes and YouTube description. It's just a simple data review where it'll ask, when you look at your data, what strengths do you see? What are the gaps? And what could be a goal that we could establish that would impact one or several of those identified gaps uh, for us? Without the data, it becomes really hard first to get clarity around a goal and then to actually know, are you making movement in it? And again, most teachers can say, well, yeah, I'm seeing movement in the classroom, which is powerful, but we want to be able to then confirm it with data, whatever that looks like. And again, it doesn't have to be highly sophisticated to start with. It may be a simple survey that we're, we're giving students. Or uh, I worked with one school that said student engagement is a key priority. We're really working on developing strategies to have our students highly engaged in their learning. And they started off with just a simple data measure of teachers. When you think of students, rate them on a one, two, three scale. One being not typically engaged, two being somewhat engaged, and three being highly engaged. And again, it was highly observational and anecdotal to start, but it gave them some data to start working off of. And that data is important, no matter no matter how big the goal, whether it's a team goal or an individual goal. I just had the same conversation with my coach. <laughs> yeah. That whole that whole notion of well being. It's like okay, this is great. Like these are things I I want to improve personally, but how are we going to demonstrate that I'm actually making improvements? Yeah, and what are the the targets, and then the signposts that can say we're we're getting somewhere, or yeah, we're not getting there. And again, it's that whole idea of of lead and lag measures. You know, when I think about health and well-being, a lag measure could be, you know, for myself, it's fitting into this size of pants by the time I've really done all this work or being able to run this particular race or something. But I need lead measures as well that can in time show me, am I making incremental steps to the bigger one that I'm trying to get to? So when we think about goals, I mean, we set goals for ourselves, but as a team, we want goals to be effective. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I've, I've written some very lofty teacher professional growth plan goals. I've written some very wordy school improvement plan goals. <laughs> I have to. <laughs> what makes a team goal effective? Yeah, and I'll go right back to what you said around personal experience. I have written the goals that say we will improve 
in the way we deliver literacy instruction to our students. In my mind, I, I have a sense of what it is that we're going to do, but that's a highly ineffective goal. I can't measure it. It's not specific for us. So I certainly subscribe or align with the idea of smart goal design. Um, and I don't think that's a, a new methodology. I find it very, very effective that when we think of that acronym SMART, it's really saying to us, and I've seen different variations, and sometimes the letters mean different things depending on which resource you're you're looking at. But for me, when I think of SMART, the S stands for specific. Can I get to a specific focus that we are going to be engaging in? M becomes measurable. Is the goal measurable uh, for us? A is attainable. And I'll talk a little bit about that because I think there's a sweet spot of attainable that it's not so easy that we can accomplish it in our sleep. But, um, you know, I subscribe a little bit to we can be attainable, but in a way that's going to stretch us just a little bit like that idea of the 100% of our students. Now, someone could have debated I, that's probably not attainable for us, but it was the aspiration of attaining it that was so important for us. Then the R being results oriented. And again, that goes a little bit with the measurable but it's what are the results we're hoping to see as a result of, of the goal that we're putting in place. And then time bound. Do we have a, is it time bound? And oftentimes when I'm starting with a, a school or an organization on their goal development, we'll often start with a simple close statement that says by blank, we will see blank as a result of blank. So for instance, I'll go back to that early example of a reading goal that was overarching for the school that then a grade one team for instance was able to say by june of 2024 we will see 91 percent of our students achieving grade level or we will see 16 of our identified yellow students as according to our um reading assessment data, um, move to acceptable as a result of an explicit focus on teaching of background vocabulary. Okay, so that's that becomes smart, that we know when, we know how to measure it, we know what success is going to look like, and we're focusing on a very specific part of what we're going to do to move the needle on for that particular goal. And in that particular case, it's we're going to get really good at teaching background vocabulary for students. Again, simple, simple example, but I, I, I think using that simple template okay. helps us create that those smart goals within our organizations or within our teams. The structure that you use there, what I really like about it, and we use that inside our Jigsaw Learning Goals as, a, as an organization, yeah. um, is the strategy that you're going to use. It's not the actions, but like that overarching strategy you're going to use to achieve the goal is articulated. Yeah. And again, there's then sub- portions that come off. And in order to do that, we're going to have to take a number of different actions to be able to um, focus in on, again, that example of building background vocabulary. But it gives us, a again, a path. But it's an aligned path. It's measurable. It's time bound. So 
I mean, you and I pointed out to to some of the things that we we have done in writing goals that uh-huh. maybe weren't they were learning opportunities. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> we That's learned we it. learn from those mistakes. Absolutely. So when you when you think about teams that are crafting their goals, right? That that articulation of them. What are some of those, you know, the the, the most common things that we could say, mm, you might want to rethink that. Yeah, so I think some of the common one I already alluded to is you know, finding that sweet spot for a goal around the attainable, you know, and a team that says we will achieve this by just continuing what doing what we're doing we're already on a path. So let's make a goal that's that we're guaranteed to get to. Um, a, I don't think that challenge or pushes us a little bit or when it gets to be so incredibly ambitious, you know, that we will see every student graduate and move on to post-secondary within their first year of graduation. Well, that's probably very, very um well, not attainable, nor is it something that we want to potentially attain. It's too far. And again, I, I like the idea of, you know, you've heard of it before, the WIG goals, the wildly important goals and stretch goals. Um, yeah, I, I think there's a sweet spot in there that sometimes teams land on either side of it. That's the first one. I think the one I see most often, though, and you and I have both done this before either as a team crafting a goal or as a leader helping teams craft goal is when the goal is focused on what is it the team is doing rather than what they hope to see as a result of what they're doing and I'll give you an example when I had one team that said our goal is that by the end of June 2024 we will become proficient at delivering gamification as part of our lesson development. Okay, that's a really, really um, important or or valuable goal that you've set, trying to incorporate gamification for the purpose of student engagement. That's awesome. But you're now setting the goal of what you're going to do, where I would flip that just ever so slightly by being able to say, by the end of the school year, we will see increases in student engagement as measured by our whether it's a focus group or a survey or or as measured by student engagement measures that will be developed as a result of incorporating gamification into our lesson so i think getting away from the the goal is what we're going to do and again i've seen this before uh, especially in an elementary or my specific example comes from an elementary school where the goal was we will create um, reading center or literacy center resources for every classroom. Okay. Again, really great stuff. And the team was 100% committed to building in some really found, st- strong uh, um, small group instruction and centered learning. But again, it comes back to the why are you creating literacy centers? Well, we hope to see this as a result of the work we're putting into these learning literacy centers. So I think making sure, and again, it goes back to the smart ideas. Are you results oriented? So the learning and the implementation of the strategy as the group of teachers is is not the goal. It is the strategy 
Yeah. And and then I would point out, you've talked about the word hope a couple times, right? Hope to see these results. Mm-hmm. And or expect. Exactly. Because I really want to, yeah. I really want to really hone in on the notion there that, that it is about the results because hope is not a strategy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think I often will work with schools when they set those goals. And one of the first questions will go, why is that goal important? What do you hope to achieve? And then another question that can come out of that next is, so then what's your current reality? And again, both of those point to the involvement or utilization of data to inform the responses for those questions. So Curtis, I'm going to ask you a frequently asked question because this is, you know, part of the whole goal setting process and everybody, everybody likes numbers, right? Like Mm -hmm. How many, how many words do I have to write in this paragraph? How many, how many, how many pages does my paper have to be? This question is brought to you by WeCollab. Designed by educators for educators, this comprehensive digital system aligns with the foundational components of collaborative response. Moving from conversation to action, WeCollab empowers classrooms, schools, and systems to provide the very best response for each and every child by informing action-based decision-making with data and evidence supporting student success. Oh, I have a daughter in university right now. That's uh, (laughs) very much an expectation of, of what it is I'm supposed to accomplish. So as a team, how many goals should we be considering writing? Okay, well, then with how you set that up, the response is going to be highly frustrating because it really depends on the context of the team. Now, I'll back that up and get a little more specific here for you, but it does. It it depends on where the team is at with their familiarity, with building goals, their comfort, their execution of that. But I would suggest when starting, pick one, one thing that we are going to focus on and get good at. Um, I've seen schools that introduce team goals and say, well, we've got three team goals. I remember him talking once about another school where every team set a goal to align with three goals. So let's do that. But without understanding that example of that school was in their fourth year of doing this and had built up some capacity. So I I would say one, pick one goal that you're going to really focus in on. And I'll sometimes hear schools saying, well, should we be updating those goals every month, every semester, every year? And again, I would suggest when starting, pick one goal that you want to focus on this year. And again, this is why picking a goal that's a bit of a stretch goal is important. But for instance, that one that I mentioned before about building vocabulary, background vocabulary usage, it might take us a year to get really good at that as as a team and to really hone in on that. So now, with that being said, there, of course, becomes variations over time where I've had some teams that get good and say, okay, each semester, we're going to look at our goals and we might adjust or change them. Or we're going to establish three goals But for the first two months, we're only focusing on goal one. But again, I come back to some of the key ideas I shared right off the start of, are the goals aligned to your overarching school goals, which of course should be aligned to the divisional goals, which are aligned to the provincial or or state goals that are established. And then um, 
how often are we going to redo those goals? Within our own Jigsaw Learning organization, there's already a goal that we're getting very close to accomplishing that we're probably going to revise quite early on in the process where another goal, it might take us the whole year. And then I have seen schools that have said, for instance, in our case, we had that core goal of 100% student. Well, that was an ongoing for, we had it established for three years um, before we made some adjustments, but teams were of course um, adjusting on the fly as we went. So again, the response of that depends is important because I think it does really rely on the, on the, comfort and familiarity of your school teams being able to set effective goals. Don't set three goals when you're still learning how to do it. Set one and get good at it. It aligns with everything we talk about with collaborative response, Curtis, right? Context, context, context. (laughs) 100%. And the idea of start small and take incremental steps and learn while you're doing it. So you started with the notion of this loose tight leadership right so Mm -hmm. you know the the tightness being every team's going to have a goal the looseness being go write your own but yeah i'm a school leader that's my hat i'm wearing right now and maybe i'm a little concerned that some of the goals that that i'm seeing or hearing about may not be as effective as i would have hoped or as i believed was possible What advice would you give me? (laughs) Okay, so the first advice that I would give, and this is learned experience and not how I would have responded um, 20 years ago when first moving into some leadership positions, is give a little bit of grace. And if the first iteration of team goals are not exactly up to the high expectation and standards that you've set, that's okay. We'll get there. And the team may have to have the idea of our goal actually wasn't that great when we first started, but now we're learning how we would approve it or grow upon it. It goes back to what we talk about all the time of just fire, ready, fire, aim, and you're going to aim and refine. Now, with that being said, I think there are opportunities where as leadership, I don't want to micromanage or say, this is the goal your team will follow. And now I've taken away all ownership, everything that Daniel Pink talks about in regards to creating motivation or drive is gone once you lose autonomy. Um, for it, he, he shares that autonomy is really key for that. But I can, as a leader, come together and help support. So one of the things that I learned over time was not micromanage that goal, but I can come to the team and start asking questions. Um, and one of the things that I started to do was every September, well, actually in August, we would do a little workshop for teams to refine their goals, build their goals, look at their data, review, get some feedback from one another. We do little gallery walks with the goals. And then probably by the third week of September, I would come to each team, but they knew I was coming and they knew the four questions ahead of time that I was going to ask. And those four were, how did you arrive at your goal? Share with me what that looked like. And sometimes through that conversation, I might be able to help tweak uh, something for the, well, we arrived at it by looking at this and and to be able to say, well, what did you see when you looked at that data? Why did it go that way? And I might be able to ask some questions that'll 
lead to a, just a little bit of a further refinement uh, for it. Second question I ask is, how will you know if you've achieved your goal? What impact do you expect to have if you're if you are successful with your goal? And again, that's really helping to align with the data. Um, how would you measure if this is successful? And I've done that with some teams where I said, okay, well, I wonder if this could be a way to measure it. Let's get let's craft the goal just a little bit to in, include that that measurable component. Then the third question is what challenges do you ex anticipate in accomplishing your goal so that we can predict and and foresee what some of the challenges and barriers are going to be and help formulate some potential ways to either um, deal with it when we are encountering with them or sidestep them all together if possible. And then fourth, what do you need from leadership in order to achieve your goal? What is it that we can do to help you have success? And then often would, or it's not often, built it into a cycle that in January, I'd come in and formally ask those questions. Now, in between, there'd, of course, be informal check-ins and mm -hmm. times to talk or teams saying, you know, we're thinking of this for our goal, whatnot, what do you think? Um, but then June, having a chance to have that reflective cycle, but again, not micromanaging or dictating, but I found through that type of engagement and involvement, it would help teams really hone in on their goal. And sometimes what they stated when they first started as their goal actually wasn't what they were trying to accomplish anyway. And you'd reach that through some of that reflective questioning. So Curtis, you talk about the, you know, few times a year coming together to to review the goals with your staff, which is, I mean, it, it does bring them to the forefront, but yeah, formally review, formally review, which is kind of the same way we talk about student support plans, IPPs, et cetera. We formally yeah. review those a few times a year, but how do we avoid that idea of compliance? Right. Yeah. So we had we, a goal and we have to dust it off and dust it off and take a look at it. Right? Coming, how do we how us. do we bring those goals to life so that that they really are part of how we're we're living our work? Yeah, I think what we always want to try to um, aspire to is that. Teams are not doing things because of expectations of a leader, but rather teams are doing it because of expectations of one another that, that we have. And I think we start building that when we create multiple opportunities on an ongoing basis for teams to be able to share, reflect, get feedback. So some very simple things that um, I would employ and then other things that I've seen other leaders are employ were things like at a staff meeting. Um, we're going to start and find a partner from another uh, team and take five minutes and discuss these two questions on the screen. What have you done in the last month to move forward in your goal? And what impact do you think it's having so far? Just have a quick conversation. And as teams start to hear from one another, again, it builds up that we're all doing this. There's also a little bit of that peer accountability of I don't want to be on the one team that when that question comes up, has the response of, yeah, we haven't really touched it in the longest time. Again, there's that that pure accountability that comes comes in, or I guess not accountability, responsibility 
to one another. And then, you know, on PD days saying, all right, this team has 10 minutes on the agenda to share what it is that they've been doing. Or um, we're going to get into groups and each group is going to share, each person is going to share what their team has been accomplishing and how they're getting forward. Or at the next PD day, every team come ready to share. Um where are they currently at with their goal and what is the next step? Just creating multiple opportunities. I even one time had teams take, um, this was with another school where they were implementing team planning guides and we can put a link in the show notes and description of what those guides look like where they took copies of it printed and then put people in their regular teams and said, here's other teams planning guys go through review and get ready because we want for you to for each team to be able to share what's one thing that's really impressing you when you read through another teams and what's a question you have when you're looking at the work another team has been doing so i think creating ongoing and multiple times for that is important and then even more importantly as a leader i tried to find as many ways to celebrate accomplishments that teams were having you know if a team said this is one of the milestones we're trying to get to, or here's a key action that we're taking it and accomplishing it. I tried to recognize that, whether it was in uh, public sharing of, I just need to celebrate this team, whether that came out in a email, uh, at a staff meeting, whatnot. Sometimes a team would come to meet and there'd be um, a plate of cookies or a treat waiting for them with a little note that said, so excited about the work that you've been able to accomplish in this um, so far. Trying to find all those little celebration checkpoints that we can do to just keep the momentum of those teams. Because again, if teams are accomplishing their goals and they're in alignment with the overall school priorities, by sheer, sheer fact of that alignment, we should be able to see growth as an organization if Again, every boat is rowing in the same direction and and picking up steam through that that rowing. But listening to you talk, I mean, there there is truly a passion that you have for that that culture of collaboration. Yeah. The the, the strategies you've just shared and the ideas and the the just the little bits and pieces around psychological safety and people being comfortable and confident, like. That really highlights for me the the reason that we have spin-off podcasts because yeah. it's not all about collaborative response. Collaborative response is built on a culture of collaboration, which is another podcast series that we're running. And I would invite our audiences to go check that one out as well. Well, and I think too, that one of the underlying things that's become really readily apparent over the last few years, I used to think... We have to work in a team because the team should be smarter and better than any one person within it if if off operating truly as a team. But even more importantly, I've come to realize that those connections that people have um, through their work, they're so important for well-being, for um, feeling that sense of belonging, of just the very nature of being human and and wanting to be part of something that's more than just ourselves. Um, I think that's what's so critically important and understanding within that we have to honor and empower and understand that some people need time on their own. And how do we honor that while still 
having it contribute to a team. It's highly, highly complex work. And I think it takes several lifetimes to <laughs> figure it out. So recognizing the complexity of the work, I know that JXL Learning is all about the support. And so you have an upcoming workshop. Do you want to talk a little bit about that and how our audience might get involved with that? You bet. So we are running a series of of online workshops that are all about supporting collaborative response, where each month myself or uh, Lorna will take a topic area and just really dive into that. So for those that are just joining this leading collaborative response and you haven't really heard or know about mine and Curtis's relationship, I have been around Curtis and Lorna for better than a decade now. And mm-hmm. I have had the privilege of watching them clearly articulate the work as it grows and breaking it into smaller chunks. So I highly recommend checking out the workshops, checking out the on-demand webinars that are coming and checking out all of the valuable resources on the website. And Curtis, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm a fangirl. Collaborative response is, is the way, and you know this, but thank you as always for making time for our audience who is curious, who mm-hmm. are committed to students and staff and learning and just excited about working together. Absolutely. And I'll encourage people as well. If you have questions, if you want to talk through anything, if you want to challenge some of the ideas that you've heard, I'd love to engage in that conversation. Uh, So reach out as well. We often will come into schools or organizations and help support the development of effective team goals and lead and facilitate some of that learning. So if that's of interest, please reach out as well. So Jen, as always, thank you for opening the space and engaging in the dialogue that you're right is really about how do we maximize and support the great work that's happening out in in organizations and again it's with that ever-growing desire to ensure that through our teamwork every child benefits from that ensuring success for all students is a moral imperative for all schools but it takes a highly coordinated framework of structures and processes to maximize the collective capacity of the team. In Collaborative Response, three foundational components that transform how we respond to the needs of learners, we share an organizational mindset that involves fundamental shifts for schools and districts. Numerous school and district examples, as well as access to a large number of resources, are provided within the text and in the accompanying companion website. Join the growing number of schools using collaborative response to ensure high levels of success for students and staff, stemming from the essential belief that every child deserves a team. I always love the enthusiasm that Curtis brings to the work when it comes to the idea of collaboration and making sure everyone has the opportunity to be involved in the process. And the building of team goals is no different. We can talk about the idea of data-informed goals. We can talk about the ideas of creating smart goals. We can focus in on that notion of alignment. But more importantly than those things, which I'll talk about them as being important, But more importantly than those things, which I will circle back to, the first part is 
ready, fire, aim. Create a goal. Give yourself something to work for. It does not have to be perfectly articulated the first time around. That's why you put in structures and processes in order to review and reflect. The idea is what are some of those measures that you're going to be able to put in place that can demonstrate the incremental progress so that we can continue to stretch our goals if we happen to achieve them. So those are the two big ones that I want to point out first. Ready, fire, aim. Make a goal and get moving. Incremental progress. You can't get from zero to 100 in a day. But how could you get from zero to 10? And then maybe from 10 to 20? Coming back to considerations that Curtis gave, those SMART goals. We are generally really good at being specific about something, really. What we want to be specific about are the results that we want to achieve, which is the R, making sure that in that, those results are going to be measurable, M, and attainable, A, but everything needs to have a time limit. How long are you going to give yourself to try this before we need maybe need to reconsider? Having been through a number of roles in a school system myself, from classroom teacher clear up to division level, that notion of alignment of goals is key in order to achieve those big results and watch the ripple effect. So if the province has stated or the state has stated the goal is this, okay, how does that goal apply at the division level? What are our goals? Great. How do those goals align at the school level and what are our goals? And even going so far as your own collaborative team goals with your team and then your own individual goals as a teacher. That little thing that you can do for yourself can ripple out and ripple out and ripple out and ripple out. And suddenly we are going to have small incremental sustainable changes that are actually creating massive impact. So as you're planning your goals with your team, which was the focus of today's episode, please take into consideration the few things that Curtis shared based on his experience and recognize that that experience has come from decades of growth over time. For more on collaborative response, visit jigsawlearning.ca or join the JL Insider to receive access to newly added resources and content. Make sure to follow us on social media. Subscribe to the podcast and the Jigsaw Learning YouTube channel to access past and upcoming episodes. Join us again to continue to build your own capacity in leading collaborative response in your context.